Make believe, it's not pretend We might be ill, but we're on the mend It never starts, it never ends Welcome to Craig and Friends Welcome to Craig and Friends Welcome to Craig and Friends I like your cute little house Oh, it's an Airbnb it is? I picked it because of the couch, because I usually tape it an L-shaped couch at home. Oh. And I was just looking for a good space for this. And so it weirdly worked out that it's quiet almost all the time. Isn't it good? Yeah. The view's nice too, but because I didn't want the reflection off the window. And it's quiet here. It's really quiet. Yeah. And it's right around the corner from, I'm not that conversant with New York. So it was nice to like be right in the heart of things. Yeah. Is it reasonable-ish? Yeah. Uh, it's like night. It could be worse. It could be yeah, worse. Yeah. I should get the link for this because people are always looking, you know. I'll send you the link. Yeah, I know. I was going to book again for, because Jason's coming back to do Pride at the end of June. Oh, is he doing a full show? I think so, yeah, on the 30th. He's also doing John Waters' birthday show in Detroit, uh, and I'm on the fence. I want to go to it, but I don't know if it's going to work out schedule-wise. When is that? At the 27th and uh, 28th. Um, I'm doing three shows here. Oh, you are? Town Hall, 27, 28, 29. For Pride. He's doing it, uh, the John Waters thing, this month. And then oh, Pride. This month. And I was thinking of that, too. I might come for that, because yeah. I'd love to see that show. I have a little intro for you, John. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for a very special episode of Whimsically Volatile, in which we welcome an actor, a writer, a director, singer, songwriter, DJ, and the second Whimsically Volatile guest to have appeared on MacGyver. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, whether you like it or not, I'm pleased to present to you Mr. John Cameron Mitchell. <laughs> Welcome. Thanks for coming. Wait a minute. Who is the other MacGyver? Michael DeBar. <gasps> Michael DeBar. Michael I was DeBar. on a show, another show with him too. Oh, really? Which one? It was, I think, head of the class. Oh my god! <laughs> I didn't realize Michael was on that, but he's been on every TV yeah, show. Yeah, weirdly. Right? I mean, he's actually very funny. But oh yeah. Weirdly, he was this sort of rock star that never quite made it, mm-hmm. but but played the rock star brilliantly. Oh, did, right, right, exactly. Now, did he play a rock star on Head of the Class? Because yes. he did, oh, okay, I have to find that episode then, because he is definitely one of my favorite characters. Yeah, he was the Russell Brand of his time. Oh, yeah, that's, that's very true. And he had a very poignant story to share with everyone. Really? Yeah, yeah, a lot of people who weren't familiar with his stuff were moved by his um, insights and philosophies. I'll send you the wow. episode, actually. Yeah, he just yeah. performed at a friend's birthday party, uh, Brian Rabin in L.A. Oh, cool. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just saw him with his band, The Mistakes. It was the first time I got to see him live. Was he good? Oh, he was fantastic. Wow. Yeah, and he f- has that full-on still animal presence. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hopefully, I'm going to be coming to town to see you live in the Origin of Love show. Yeah, we're doing that as a slow motion tour around the world. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a couple shows here and there. But it's been a blast. It, it Basically, we just tell the story of the making of Head. Oh, cool. And... and and uh, I have an amazing costume by Eric Berggren. But it's uh, it was a crass plea for money for my mom. To raise money for? For her Alzheimer's care, yeah. yeah. And it did to an extent. But, you know, doing a tour is expensive. And, you know, you're sure. bringing a lot of people around. And so it really was just kind of paid my rent for mm-hmm. a while. But it, I love it so much. And it's been fun to kind of, you know, like the Beastie Boys are doing their they're making of show oh, yeah. lately and it's funny it's like we're all coming around like the old folks <laughs> telling the stories well now we're in the era too where everyone wants to know the behind the scenes even more yeah. so when it was like dvd extras and everything yeah podcasts are the new dvd extras they really are yeah there's uh i mean we do a movie club for our patreon 
subscribers. Oh. Yeah. And um, we're going to do Hedwig at some point with the right guest. What we're, do you do it for patreon we have subscribers who pay like in addition to the regular episodes they pay their five seven or ten dollars a month for bonus episodes the other tier is bonus plus listener questions Mm -hmm. and then 10 gets them all that plus movie club just did one on rocky horror picture show we actually found someone who'd never seen it or heard of it before so we were stunned and all the patreon people were excited to ask questions to a true rocky virgin <laughs> yeah, right. we're gonna do all that jazz actually if we're ever in the all that jazz one of my top 10 if it ever worked out i'd love to have you on all the movie club for all that yeah, jazz yeah. that is one of your favorite movies isn't it yes in fact i, I was looking at the you know the fossey tv show uh, pilot mm-hmm. the other night with someone who didn't know anything about fossey mm-hmm. and we were watching it and i'm like it was very good but i was like he didn't really know who this was and sure. I was like so I stopped the whole pilot and played his whole bits of his whole history and yeah. including the whole last 15 minutes of all that jazz which is brilliant and which kind of informs this piece anthem that's what I felt as well also knowing from watching a lot of the documentary stuff what's the name of the documentary on the blu-ray the upcoming blu-ray re-release of Hedwig and the Angry Inch uh whether you like it or not. Okay, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Criterion. Criterion, yeah. It can't get better than that. Such a compliment. I bet the transfer looks amazing. It really does. We got to revisit and fix some things that were problems in the past. Things that just always irritated you every time mm-hmm. you saw it. Yep. Fabulous photography of Frank G. DeMarco. Frank DeMarco, yeah. On film. Remember mm-hmm. film? What kind of film, too? It's a different stock that you guys used? We used different stock, but it was, you know, it was, it was the stock of the moment in 35, but we did stuff in in processing to make it a little more 70s looking and i shot a short bus on 16 which was my last film on film that's remarkable because rabbit hole looks so great i mean i can't tell the difference actually the red camera it was we were forced into using digital but frank did a good job Hmm. and he also did how to talk to girls parties parties, which also looks amazing too yeah very distinctive yeah we did a special thing where we you know a the big digital frame is so sharp that it's almost too much information. Sure. You know, like Americans think more is better, right? Mm-hmm. And what we did was we framed the shot for a kind of donut hole of the frame so yeah. that we basically are blowing up a detail right, of right. the digital frame, which softens things. Mm-hmm. And then we added some digital grain called live grain and just gave it a subtler, you know, so... E- you know, everything now is so high def. It's strange, actually, when you first yeah. see a 4K TV and you see Game For of Thrones sports, or something. I'm sure it's great, yeah. but I don't want to know all of that. Right, we need a little bit about, of blur. Yeah, I don't need yeah. to see the pores. <laughs> <laughs> and now your latest project, Anthem, is yeah. a 10-part series designed for the ear. Right. I've gone so low def <laughs> visually that I've gone blind. <laughs> Um, There's pictures there. You just can't see them. Yeah. There is a joy, though, I think. Podcasts, of course, are ascendant now. Certainly. And we were trying to figure out why. And I th- I mean, part of it is filling those times where you can't look at a screen, like driving yeah. and exercising or, or commuting, which you could look at a screen, I guess. But mm. there's a little uh, fatigue, uh, yeah. screen fatigue. Mm-hmm. So one sense is enough. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there'll be... You know, the taste network, you know, where you're just tasting things. But it seems more calming. Plus, you're using your imagination visually while you're listening, Mm -hmm. which has a calming effect and also a stimulating effect. Mm -hmm. You know, masturbation used to be imagining a story. Now it's 
porn for most guys in the industrialized world. And sometimes in 4K. In 4K, which again is like way too much information. I prefer, you know, my porn on, on film. But I, I think there's an equivalent, you know, there's mm -hmm. a kind of like we we want to reduce in order to to meet it halfway with our own imagination. Sure. There's a joy in that. But also people sometimes listen to them while they're doing something else. Mm -hmm. Um Ours, though, because it's dense. <laughs> it's very dense. You can't, you don't want to miss a line because you lose the scene, yeah. you know, the plot. And so I really encourage people to listen on good headphones or, or speakers. And they're only half hour to 40 minutes. So they're, they're you can concentrate. And uh, my friend who inspired me to do this uh, has a popular podcast, narrative podcast called Orbiting Human Circus, mm -hmm. which is on WMYC now. And I'm a voice on that. Mm. And he was a member of the band uh, Neutral Milk Hotel. Oh, yeah, Julian yeah. Coster. So mm -hmm. he really inspired me and many of my friends mm -hmm. to make their narrative podcast. It's a remarkable how much you can fit into it because you don't have to worry about building a set. Yes, and you can reshoot. <laughs> did you do a lot of uh, recutting and revoicing? I did, mm -hmm. I did. I, I was traveling a lot last year and I just brought my nice mic with me, mm -hmm. you know, recommended by... Our Skywalker sound, you know, mixer of <laughs> yeah. various films. Yeah. Uh, and so I could put a blanket over my head and redo <laughs> my lines. And then I, I could also ask Glenn Close and Patty Lapone to put a blanket over their, their head wherever they were. Yeah. And speak into their iPhone. Oh, right. To fix some lines because some things didn't need to be as high. Deaf right, sound. exactly. A lot of the sound design is remarkable too. There was actually a siren going on one point, and because I'm in New York, I thought it was coming from the street. Um, <laughs> and the panning is amazing, and also all the incidental dialogue is so well placed that you really feel like the crowd is around you, right. and you really feel like when Glenn Close, who plays your character's mother, is talking in another room that she's in another room. That's hard to do yeah. on film, and and even harder on this. But we used a lot of uh, film and TV people. Hmm. in the editing and uh, mixing. So it's a 10-part series, and it's going to come out on Luminary? Luminary uh, is a new podcast network that is kind of pushing the medium. They want to be the Netflix of podcasts. Yeah. So they're financing 40 of their own podcasts mm -hmm. that will be under a, a subscription of like $7 a month. But you can also get free, you know, free months. Sure. Um, if you just want to listen to us, you know, but it, it's great, you know, and they're bringing in great pre-existing talent, but new talent, you know, Lena yeah. Dunham's doing an interview show and Conan O'Brien and uh, Trevor Noah. So we're the, I think they're kind of tentpole fictional one, yeah, you know, and we just lucked out that they needed us and we needed a place mm -hmm. because ours was quite expensive and we couldn't quite figure out how to recoup because of how, Dense it is. Yeah, you know, it just certainly. took a lot more time than we thought. Right. And we've learned stuff that next time around, because we want this to be an anthology series mm. where other people make their musical season. That'd be amazing. Yeah. You know. And musicals are definitely back in vogue now as well, and which it's is perfect helpful. for audio. You know, it's, yeah. it's just weird that, um, you know, we're, we're continuing a form that it was, you know, ascendant in the 30s. Radio theater, theater yeah. of the mind, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. People do really find a lot of comfort in podcasts and get to rely on them. Yeah. I do as well. I mean, and also that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> yeah. Do you listen in the car or do you find yourself? 
Yeah, yeah, I listen at all times, and also I'm a major uh, fan of Howard Stern, so that's always been... Yeah. And especially with the phone, it's great. You know, you're yeah. going to make something in the kitchen, or yeah. you're going down the street to the store, you listen to a little bit of it, mm-hmm. so you can listen in, in fits and starts. Mm. Although, it was fun, because I listened to your show pretty much in two goes. Are you listening to the whole thing? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a big fan of yours. We met a few years ago at uh, the L.A edition of Mattachine. At Akbar. Yeah, mm. that's right. Yeah, I got to play that with you. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. And then again in, in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And I think that was when I first heard about Anthem. Yeah, we were writing down there, I think, when I saw you. Uh, I was, you know, staying in Airbnb with my composer, Brian Weller, mm. uh, who did some music on how to talk to girls at parties. Okay, yeah. I didn't think I could write songs because I don't play an instrument. Mm-hmm. And uh, my composer, Brian Weller, said... That's not true. I mean, all kinds of my favorite people don't play instruments sure. and write songs. So we're going to write 20 songs in 12 hours. <laughs> so that actually happened. Yeah. We were in Miami. Yeah. Gloria Stefan's son gave us, gave us a keyboard. We had a guitar. <laughs> and he would write mm-hmm. um, a musical setting. And then he'd say, go in the other room with GarageBand, write lyrics and a melody. Oh, wow. While okay. I write the next one. That's great. So... We've in two of those songs ended up in the piece. Oh wow! Which two? Uh, what well, you don't hear the lyrics in this. It's on the soundtrack. It's called oh, okay. "Bend You to the Left." Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that my brother Finton sings, "I Exist," where he says, "The more you hurt, I exist." Do you remember me, or do you Really noted in this, also with rewatching Hedwig recently, uh, how much autobiographical material informs your fictional material. Yeah. Well, it's the only safe form now because oh, okay. fiction yeah. is appropriation. <laughs> <laughs> right, as the character played by Justin Vivian Bond. Yes, says she's my professor, and she's. I say I want to study creative writing. She goes, you might as well study creative appropriation because if you didn't experience your characters lives you don't get to tell their story Mm. (laughs) and you know obviously we're tweaking a little bit but well sure there is a little bit of panic in the air of uh coming out of very righteous grievances and such of uh really inclusion Mm -hmm. um people have determined that it's you can't really tell someone else's story, but then sure. that kind of obviates the possibility of imagination right. and empathy. Mm-hmm. And to me, being an actor, you know, playing people that I'm not made me a better person. Mm-hmm. It made me a more empathetic person. Because you're thinking about life through a different perspective. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. can have a, a joke. Studies say that people who read fiction have more empathy than people who read the news. I read that on HuffPo and it really moved me. <laughs> you know, there is a sense of, of a kind of, uh, no, maybe autobiography is the only safe, sure. non-offensive form Yeah, with consent waivers and trigger warnings when necessary. Um, as recommended by as a professor as or Dr. Re- Gunt? <laughs> uh, Dr. Gunt, which was uh, Justin's care, you know, had a friend named Karen Gunt. Um, <laughs> I mispronounce it. It's Gunt. Um, but 
she's a hoot and a half and also a, a real role model for me. You know, mm -hmm. when I was creating Hedvig, I met uh, Justin, Viv, she goes by Viv more now. Okay. Um, after I was creating Hedvig, Viv, you know, was hanging out in the club that we developed it at called Squeezebox. Mm. And I was oh, just overwhelmed with learning from Justin, Vivian, from Anthony, now Anoni, and, and, uh, Lady Bunny and Mistress from mm -hmm. Micah and Jane County, sure. you know, these trans and drag performers who yeah. were my teachers mm -hmm. to create a character that, you know, I think of as more of a, a drag persona than a trans person because, you know, he was forced into an operation. It right. wasn't any personal choice. So it's not really a trans character. Um, but the, the art of self-creation mm. being something that could save her or at least protect her sure until she doesn't need the armor right uh because the armor is given to you by culture right mm -hmm. it's like you, what i call the binarchy you are man or woman <laughs> right when we're really kind of a little bit of everything sure um and man and woman is required by conservative or fascist cultures because it's controllable mm -hmm. and also because misogyny actually dictates that if you're a feminine man you are therefore less than human right um if you're a masculine woman you know you have a little bit higher on the but a woman is still low so you know there's <laughs> hierarchies are necessary also uh the binarchy is necessary for capitalism because you can market to it right <laughs> when you know what they are you can market to it whereas with queer it, yeah with queerness with individuality mm -hmm. with the complexity that we are uh, we can't fit into niches that are sellable to, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's confusing. Do you think it, that's changed though in the last 15, I think 20? things have definitely gotten better for queer, for gender variant, for, for, for a lot of people. I mean, yeah. what's weird about now is that in some ways we're better off than we've ever been in this world in terms of poverty and disease and economics. Mm -hmm. And yet because of global warming and because of the internet news cycle, we get battered by information. Sure. Yeah. And polarized by it. Mm -hmm. And facts become what you want them to be. You know, if mm -hmm. all news is fake now, then all stories are true, which weirdly is why I think fiction is even more important mm -hmm. now than in the past. Journalism certainly is. Mm -hmm. But if there's no group acceptance of an objective fact right which is certainly the case in our regime right now mm. then all we have is stories right you know so there's more of a responsibility i mean it's a, it's scary so and young people coming into a world where they're told that it's all downhill kids you know <laughs> yeah even sorry when we were kids even if they were lying there was a sense of we can make the world a better place and now sure. there's like i was just on a podcast where the host was saying we shouldn't let bad news destroy our possibility for joy mm -hmm. and for creation and for having kids. And he was attacked by attacked. by young people uh -huh. saying, how dare you say we should have kids in this Cesspool apocalyptic world, time yeah. because it's irresponsible to bring them into a world where it's going to be hell. How dare you? <laughs> These are like kids talking. Yeah, right. In with, a way with this that, righteousness. Yeah, in a yeah. way that old people used to dictate to you. Right. I have a, a piece with characters from my life, but I'm also writing characters that are not like me. You know, mm -hmm. there's an, a, an African character, there's a, 
a British woman of color. And it's like, as a white gay man, am I not allowed to write a character of a, a straight black woman? If I'm not, then you might as well throw out the possibility of someone imagining themselves in someone else's shoes. Mm. Or something like a woman under the influence wouldn't be allowed. Yeah, because right? he's a man telling one story, which mm -hmm. to me is actually an incredible uh, feminist document of a woman by a man, right. you know, his collaborator, which is his wife, forced into what a woman is supposed to be mm -hmm. by Peter Fox's character and by culture yeah. and cracking. Yeah, exactly. She tries so hard to be a mother that she snaps. Mm -hmm or a good lover and she snaps. Mm -hmm. And these insights can come from all angles. Right. You know, can I only play gay characters? Can straight guys only play straight? You know, I, I'm it's complex sure. because there's idea of people who have been left out of the system and should be in right. or allowed yeah. to tell their stories. But there's also a sense of um play that's lost and a sense of imagination that can be lost too. Sure. Certainly. Finding that balance is very important. It is very tricky. Like, what's your take, for instance, on Scarlett Johansson getting a lot of heat? Oh, yes. Well, that that made sense because there are many trans actors who can play that. Sure. But is she not allowed to play something that's closer to her? Mm -hmm. You know, is she not allowed to play? I mean, she also got shit for playing a character in Ghost in the Shell. That's right. Yeah. Uh, which isn't not particularly Japanese story. I mean, mm -hmm. it comes from Japan. Yeah. Um, and Tilda Swinton playing the ancient one in, mm -hmm. in, um, in Doctor Strange. A lot of those things are not exactly, not as much lazy uh, racism as economic capitalist decisions. These are people who are already stars. Therefore they get to do whatever they want. <laughs> right. Which is exhausting to me. You yeah. know, when I grew up in the world where, I was an openly gay actor and I saw straight actors getting Oscars because they were brave <laughs> in playing gay. And I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm over here too. But it's good that we're talking about, you know, equitability and, and opportunity for sure. Mm. It gets bad when censorship is involved, when, you know, the laws become all about... Um, restriction? Restriction and also your job becomes not offending as opposed to creating alternatives. Sure. Because it's hard to play a negative. Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm directing an actor, I I, I don't say don't, because that's all they think about. If I say don't scratch your head in the scene at all, you get very self-conscious. What, you know, what are my hands doing? And yeah. when you tell someone don't be racist, <laughs> as opposed to try putting yourself in a situation you've never been mm -hmm. where race is challenging to you. Mm -hmm. Try, um, you know, going somewhere you haven't been yeah. physically. You know, right. I think every American should be forced to live outside the country for a while and it would solve a lot of problems mm -hmm. of provincial, you know. Thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those are positive acts. You know, volunteer and help, you know, learn about trans issues by helping out with this, you know. Yeah. As opposed to don't do that. Yeah. And don't speak the wrong way yeah. about something and without any sort of help in the other direction. Yeah. To me, yeah. It, it can't just be that. It just can't right. be a don't. It has to be added to a, a, pos yes a positive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in terms of living in other parts of the world, you've lived kind of all over the world, right? Yeah. My, my dad was in the army. 
so it was mostly Europe in, okay. in the U.S. Um, and my mom is is an immigrant uh, from Europe, and there's a sense of uh, weirdly in the military. I mean, I have a line in the piece where someone says, "Oh, yeah, the military is a socialist state for conservatives," which it really is yeah. because we we're given health care and housing. Mm -hmm. It's very racially mixed. Mm -hmm. There's a class system of officers and, and enlisted, yeah. but there is a sense of meritocracy mm -hmm. and you do your job and you get taken care of, which we don't actually have in this country. Right. That's we, true. Weirdly, yeah. you know, the rednecks go to straighten themselves out in, you know, by enlisting in the military, which is a socialist state. Yeah. It's complete and it's a working one. So that's why McCain was always a complex figure because mm -hmm. he was a bit of a hawk, but he was also reasonable in terms of of wanting to help people out and, mm -hmm. and have health care. And so I take a bit of that, you know, I would grow up very Catholic too. And there's a, there's a kind of a socialism in that too, is like po pooling your resources and, and, yeah. and sharing, you right. know, which was the sort of Jesus way. Taking care of those less fortunate yeah. and yeah. St. Vincent de Paul is one thing I can think of. Right. And then it's combined with, a you know, a, the other St. Paul who threw in, you know, misogyny and and a fear of sex and, and sure. things that, you know, Jesus didn't apparently talk about. Mm -hmm. So all the guilt, unfortunately, is combined with the social uh, justice in the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. But my aunt is a nun. Oh, wow. Okay. Who's my hero. Mm -hmm. and she's in her 80s and she was an environmentalist. And Patty Lapone plays a version of her. My aunt... Uh, Sister Terry is the coolest person in the world, you know, and she's also, Johnny, if you ever get married to a gentleman, I would be offended if you didn't let me officiate, <laughs> uh -huh. you know, and yeah. she's she's just the cool part of the Catholic Church. You know, if she was yeah. the Pope, it, everything would calm down. <laughs> they just need to calm down over there. Oh, yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your mother is suffering Alzheimer's. She's not suffering too much. Right? She's actually very happy. What's the right way to say that then? She's just living with Alzheimer's. I mean, she's in okay. a later stage, but she's quite, you know, in a blissful state. Okay, well, good. Yeah. yeah. My only experience with that was uh, my grandmother, who when I met her, basically, she was very in a... Gone? Yeah, mm -hmm. and it was sort of a troubling thing. So it's yeah. good to know that... Yeah, there was a live. few diff very difficult years where you're losing control, but both my parents had Alzheimer's and uh, my dad was a very loving guy. You know, he was a general and he had his own same sex feelings, which you talked about and I talk about in the podcast, but he kept it from making him bitter or, or you know, rigid or, or, or hateful mm -hmm. as, as some people do when they have to hide f parts of themselves. Sure. He loved my mom deeply. They stayed together till the end. And when I came out, they tried to encourage me to, change and you know encourage heterosexual comp competence <laughs> which was a term i believe my dad used <laughs> like <laughs> great um but I, I he knew i was beyond that and then was very supportive after mm -hmm. and even you know 
in the early 90s supported gays in the military. You know, mm-hmm. when, when Clinton brought it up, he was yeah. a good guy. Yeah. He didn't talk about his own life much, but he was a very beloved figure. And he wanted me to be a general. Mm-hmm. I had wanted nothing to do with the military. But when he saw me on set <laughs> directing, he was like, oh, you're, <laughs> you're a general. what I do. Yeah. You know, you're delegating, you're making people feel welcome. You're getting good work out of people. And he was my greatest defender. Mm-hmm. You know? I read that there was a time where Fox News basically led to a rift between you and your parents. You know, it happens, it's happened to a lot of our families, right? I mean, sure. it's an interesting article in the Times recently about how Rupert Murdoch changed the world. Right. Um, but one of the things he did was, uh, what's the word, codify oh, what yeah. it meant to be a good conservative or a good American. Mm-hmm. And... People from very different points of view, like my mom was an anti-abortion activist, but what does that have to do with low taxes or health care? Or, or, I mean, there's connections, but with people getting, you know, health care or education or foreign policy, you know, yeah. they have nothing in common. Right. But Murdoch and the people before, you know, and, and Bill Buckley brought these talking points together and mm-hmm. said, this is what it means to be. You have to not believe in global warming. Right. You have to be against abortion and queer rights, which are all very different things. Sure, absolutely, yeah. That you know, and Catholics have always been more socially liberal in terms of economics. Mm-hmm. You know, like New Deal and and health and education and immigration. The right. Catholic Church is very pro-immigration and, and right. helping people who are seeking sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And I was always moved by the Statue of Liberty as a symbol of America, as opposed to USA won a war. You know, it was, mm-hmm. it was about the sanctuary of the freaks. Sure. And uh, granted, we, you know, we were invented by religious fanatics and uh, and conquistador entrepreneurs mm-hmm. uh, who, you know, raped a land and brought slaves. But at the same time, it also created space for a lot of I- modern ideas that the world has found useful in terms of human rights, technology, and just the idea of, of newness, of mm-hmm. ingenuity, of like yeah. letting go of the past to find something new. So I still have hope for America. There's a certain tone that I always find running through your work. There's some very, very dark moments in Anthem. Yeah. But yet through it all, there's an optimism. Yeah, I, I think it's irresponsible to present something or work that hard on something that doesn't have hope. Yeah. We have so much evidence that, uh, that things are tough. Sure. That presenting that in a new way doesn't interest me. You know, right. it's like there's so much evidence of that. Mm-hmm. I also don't believe in dishonesty. So I think going into the dark to s- seek that pinpoint of, of light even if it's just a pinpoint, is is vital. You can't pretend yeah. that things aren't dark. I mean, I lost a brother at at f- four years old, which is why I did Rabbit Hole, and I mention it in the piece, yeah. Anthem. And so death was always, you know, my handmaiden. And mm-hmm. uh, so even as a kid, I was obsessed with Samuel Beckett, you know, who sure. was all about the end, and yeah. laughing into the abyss. and. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, art is a wonderful comfort and also a, it's like lenses, you know, in, in, in your gla- glasses when they, art is, is glasses to make the world clear. Sure. And 
you know, when I see something beautiful, I feel in the world after it. I feel like I can see, I can empathize better, and I can have more hope. I feel the same way about film, even a shitty film. Yeah. <laughs> it just does something to you. It just puts things in order for a minute, even yeah. if it's dumb. It also can take you out of, say, anxiety. I remember once discovering the magic of the Robert Redford film, Legal Eagles. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that. <laughs> it really serves a great purpose. Or any kind of like middling romantic or comedy or dramedy from the mid-80s. Mm -hmm. I was racked with something. And then I was at my parents' place. They were away. And it was like four in the morning. I turned on HBO. And that was like 10 minutes in. I'd seen it before, but only in the 80s. 20 minutes in, I'd forgotten about whatever was going on. And I was like, that's the key. Like, it just for some reason, that like cemented it for me. I was like, something middling. Something like legal legals with a harebrained plot and a performance artist played by Daryl Hannah. That helps. It's meditation. <laughs> yeah, it you know, is. Distraction. Yeah. But there's also, I like the ones that, go places you know and oh and, sure and and challenge a bit more oh as do i but those yeah. are great too yes, the ones I that agree. are just floating in something Which, yeah and people seem to find the same meditative quality in murder mysteries oh yeah you know and cop yeah. shows that are about you know pretty much half the shows are about a child's been killed and, <laughs> um it's true. People find a lot of solace for yeah. some reason in SVU, which... Mm -hmm, the procedural. Yeah, thing. exactly. Because you know how it's going to go. And there's a lot of walk and talks. Yeah. I'm in a show right now called Shrill that is mm. I really love. Um, it's the A.D. Bryant show? Starring A.D. Bryant as a fat girl in the city, and I'm her judging boss. Mm -hmm. um, and I love its tone. You know, it's mm -hmm. very palatable, but it's very empathetic. It's kind of like girls but less New York, you know, more forgiving okay, of the sure. characters. Yeah. Even though my guy's a real asshole, there's, <laughs> and a lot of the people are, there is a a kindness about it that I think stems also from AD, mm -hmm. who is, you know, the nicest person in the world mm -hmm. and um, was so welcoming. And it, it, it was a money job at first, and now I actually, oh, it's okay. a labor of love. Yeah. What's the ratio that you usually find yourself doing? Money job or something passion? Well, I try to find a money job that isn't going to take away from the the passion job, um, yeah. which is always the the balance sure. in life. Yeah, you know, Hedvig was not a real money. I didn't live on Hedvig uh, until it was on Broadway, and that was you know for a couple of years it was a good amount of money, but it all disappeared into my mom's healthcare. So sure. Yeah. It's it comes and goes. And yeah. you know, I'm I've been on tour doing the Origin of Love show, which is about the making of Hedvig, which again was for my mom, mm -hmm. but has turned out to be also something I enjoy massively. Oh, yeah. yeah. So the performing was really more for the money and the directing and writing was for the love. Sure. Um but now I'm enjoying all of them. Let's go back to Hedwig a little bit. Or sorry, pardon me, Hedwig, which I, I pronounced correctly for so many years. I don't know why I'm <laughs> pronouncing it incorrectly in this show. Anyway, so back to Hedwig. We were talking about Squeezebox. We just taped an interview with Michael Schmidt. Devin, oh, you did? Yeah, Devin Green and I chatted with him Great. about that. And it was funny to hear him talk about how he was basically so adamantly against <laughs> you doing Hedvig at first because, you know... Because I wasn't a drag queen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, there was a sense of like, you're not really part of this scene though it was a new scene that was a punk you know rock queer you know bar and it yeah. was the thing i've always had always dreamed of mm -hmm. you know there were other 
you know, rock and rollish queer places. Um, Vaginal Davis had a great party in L.A. and but this was the first one that was Max's Kansas City, you know. <laughs> but the queers were ascendant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it was a little scary, and mm-hmm. it was you know the resurgence of rock and roll in the nineties, mm-hmm. and you know various stars would come by, and it was n- enjoyable to freak out the stars of the moment. Like I remember the Beastie Boys, it was too gay for them. They mellowed out a lot. Sure, okay. But yeah. at that time, I think they would, they were freaked out. Yeah. Um, I think John Cusack had a heart attack there. But <laughs> but then others, you know, Green Day and Courtney Love, you know, loved it. Yeah. And uh, John Waters was there every week. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was my heaven and I became a citizen of Squeezebox. And Michael, though, you know, uh, skeptical at first realized that I was, even though I over rehearsed it all, <laughs> you know, um, it, it all let loose in our first gig. And I, it was the first time in drag, my first time singing rock with a band. Oh, right. Yeah. A lot of things happened. Yeah. Um, and I was so inspired by all of those performers to make something that was different. You know, it was, yeah. it, it, it employed drag It employed performance art, punk rock, Stand up, sure. Broadway, you know, it's the plot is not unlike Gypsy, where someone feels, you know, left out. So it's a tradition, kind of a traditional Broadway story, but the 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 uh, subject matter was different. Sure. So once they, you know, I did my first thing. I, I was I was accepted. You know, I was a baby drag queen, and I still count many of those people as my friends. And sure. Lady Bunny lives across the street from me. Mm-hmm. Charles Bush, who first inspired me, Lady Bunny. Who has one of the most interesting political minds, because we had Lady, Lady Bunny, Bunny on a phone call yes. a, a few episodes ago. She's the great mother, you know, who I wish could relax a little and have a goddamn TV show finally, but they were <laughs> earlier, you know, pre-RuPaul um, generation, even though they were from the same scene. Right. Uh it was a, it was just the luck of the draw. But I love Lady Bunny, and we were talking about rent stabilization in New York mm-hmm. and how we were still, you know, surviving in the village, yeah, because um, of our rent, yeah. And she's like, I know, I had no idea the apartment I procured in 1990 would be the apartment I would die in. <laughs> and you know, there's, are you still in the same apartment? Oh yes, since '93. Oh wow. Um, so I. Even though I was the young person looking up at all of, you know, the drag and Broadway legends, I've, you know, kind of, we we, we huddle together in, you know, St. Vincent's <laughs> Park and kind of like, remember, you know, it's like, I'm going to take a break. I'm carrying these groceries. Do you mind if I sit with you? And it's, it's sweet. It's, I feel, yeah. I feel I'm an old, you know, old Jewish lady in the village now. I was getting sunshine boys from your yeah, description. Let's but. do the doctor sketch, <laughs> lady. Funny. When you started working at Squeezebox, when you started going to Squeezebox, what were you doing at the time for acting? I had done some Broadway shows and some TV. I was surviving on voiceovers, oh. ironically. Those were a good time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was the voice of the Dunkaroos kangaroo. <laughs> How do you do your Dunkaroos? <laughs> Cookie. Uh, which still gets a lot of re- response. Sure, yeah. Especially in Australia. <laughs> I had a terrible accent. Um, they love a bad accent there, I guess. They love a bad yeah. accent. They're not judging. They're not like French people. They're like, <laughs> come on over. Um, 
so I was doing all kinds of stuff, but I was a rock and roll kid at heart, and I, sure. I wanted, you know, I loved these downtown artists, and and I, the spontaneity was so much more exciting than the Broadway. So I wanted to bring what was then downtown, um, yeah, bring the uptown downtown and the downtown uptown, sure, until uh, it all becomes Midtown. Um, <laughs> and I'm still very much a fan of downtown cabaret and go to joe's pub all the time and mm -hmm. people like justin vivian bond and bridget everett and yeah. amber martin and uh lady rizzo these are all my you know my homies yeah and there's a great new kind of movement of of uh comedy in in new york mm -hmm. i met a guy named julio torres who's mm -hmm. a hysterical comedian who's Writing a Spanish language show with Fred Armisen called Los Spookies or something mm -hmm. with, uh, but he introduced me to this whole kind of Brooklyn scene of very interesting comedians um, who are more surreal, postmodern, often people of color, queer people. Yeah, a good friend of mine, Patty Harrison, mm -hmm. plays my assistant in Shrill, and okay. we were friends, and we were cast. You know, coincidentally, that's great, and she's an amazing talent a trans woman you know half vietnamese has a real point of view mm -hmm. uh in opposition to the you know the white male men are so different from women aren't they <laughs> my wife i tell you let me tell you <laughs> hotels are weird i recently saw um because netflix has every comedy special it seems like that's ever been made tim allen from the mid 80s about 10 minutes in was all i could take I and that was still it was no, so much bad comedy a lot, tons of it. I mean, there was Joan Rivers to kind of, you know, put a, you know, to sort of taser people periodically, but <laughs> yeah. she had to sort of, you know, almost like a drag queen had to kind of scream to kind of be heard, but she, I loved her. And there was still kind of misogynist, but at least mm. interesting, you know, Andy Kaufman's and-, and Oh, um, yeah, right. And, uh, and brilliant thinkers like George Carlin. Yeah, and Hicks, what was his name? Bill Hicks, Bill yeah. Bill Hicks, yeah. who was kind of a dick too, but at least sure. he was breaking it up. Right, exactly. Um, I loved Carlin as a kid. Yeah, me too. And and then- The wordplay. Yeah, yeah and the, but then there were ass, you know, Eddie Murphy was always an asshole, and, <laughs> you know, a hypocrite about sure. queer issues. For those who don't know, Eddie has, uh, I think in his second album, there's a track called Faggots, and then another track, Faggots Revisited, on side two. Yeah. It's really hair-raising stuff yeah. when you listen back to it. Yeah, and people actually don't know about his personal life, which shows the hypocrisy, which I'm not going to get into. No, no, but you can look, look it up. It up. <laughs> um, there's something with the going to get a newspaper at four in the morning. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, we Getting all do that, money. right? That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got to get the news. Got to stay on top of the news. I know. It's very strange. But at the same time, comedy is a great equalizer leveler um corrective you know mm -hmm. and that's my favorite kind of comedy that is is fighting is fighting the powers that be as yeah. opposed to reinforcing the stupidity <laughs> and there are a lot of really good there's people like lorelei ramirez and mm -hmm. um i love uh some of them are working on you know on, on shrill too a oh, lot cool. of comedians yeah um joe firestone and and uh Peter Smith and Lena Einbinder. These are all really great comedians who are the next wave. Mm. 
Well, looking forward to checking them out. Mm-hmm. Nice to get recommendations on the new because it's easy to get stuck in the stuff that yeah. you know. Julio has a lot of very surreal pieces that would sometimes get cut from Saturday Night Live. So you, oh, okay. So you should go online and see some of the ones that were cut because they let him show them. Oh, that's right. I forgot that they do that for yeah. SNL. Now. And there's some great, there's a great one with, uh, you know, some of the, the women, especially that he's written, that are great. He also wrote the uh, Melania moments. Oh, okay. Those, those. Yeah, yeah, those are great. Really funny. There was an SNL moment I read about being big for you that was big for me and lots of people. And I know David Bowie. Yes. Uh, with uh, who was the host? Martin Sheen was the host. No. Oh, yes, it was. Yeah, Martin Sheen. But also, what's his name? Who played Blofeld in the old Bond movies? You know, the bald. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Was he on there too? He was on that episode. No, no, he, I'm sorry. He was the host when the punk band Fear was on. Oh, right. Which was another... Donald Pleasance. Donald, Donald Pleasance. That's right, yeah. That was another uh, seminal SNL yeah. moment, which did inform me a lot, you know, SNL and the music especially. Certainly. And Bowie, of course, had Klaus Nomi and Joey Arias. And Joey Arias singing him, yeah. Boys Keep Swinging, and he was had a marionette body, and it <laughs> blew my mind. Yeah, and then he was in a full, like, office dress. Right? Yeah, like That's, a pencil skirt. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Singing. Uh, Boys keep swinging. Yeah, yeah. And he also did TVC one five with a little five and yeah. the man who sold the world. Yeah, he wore a kind of Tweedledum outfit that they had to carry him out in, and <laughs> which is very Klaus Nomi. And I, I kind of used it influenced my new outfit for my tour actually. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the anarchy of 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 those performers, and then discovering. I mean, I always saw Bowie when I was a kid and was scared by his androgyny, but later he became, you know, my real idol. Sure. Along with Lou Reed and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, Patti Smith and Tina Turner. So these people uh, filter through again. You know, it's interesting to know if rock and roll will come back. You know, in the last 10 years have been a kind of, you know, homogeneity of a kind of pop that all... Sort of sounds the same to me. Sure. You know, even country music is auto-tuned. And it's a little hair metal. I love old country. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And Dolly's got a new TV show. I mean, if she would just run for president (laughs) with Willie Nelson, we'd all be fine. (laughs) That'd be fine. I'm happy with that ticket. In fact, in the podcast, there's a joke where I mentioned good luck luck in in the the primaries, primaries, right? Yeah. (laughs) We're back! Yes! Thank you for being very patient while this patient took his nap. We're still here on my porch, raising money to get my brain tumor out on Intellathon, the world's first, what guys? Live stream crowdfunding app. I will tell you that I also invented Grindr, because in short bus, before there was an iPhone. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's right. There were GPS, you know, things, and I invented something called Yenta, Named after the the matchmaker in Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, okay, yeah. And it's a little animated woman who comes up on your screen and says, have I got a match for you? <laughs> and then the characters, some of them meet that way, and one of the older characters, uh, Pacemaker, starts g- going haywire because of the app, who turns out to be Ed Koch. I remember at the time, I'm like, to my lawyer, like, this is going to happen, isn't it? This, she's like, you can't copyright an idea. You have to... <laughs> Make make, the, make the it, thing. yeah. <laughs> so in this, I've invented in this podcast, I've invented Intellathon, which is the live stream crowdfunding kind of Kickstarter, right? The world's first, world's first, where you sort of stay online till you get the money, yeah. Um, 
and my character is like, I'm staying on until I get the money or till I die, whichever right. comes first. And since he's got a lot of time to fill, he tells his life story mm. through story uh, stories and song and flashbacks. Which are really uh, wonderfully done with archive tape. There's a lot of little things in snippets the- Snippets. Yeah, are, snippets like, oh, well, my dad and I used to send each other tape letters. or my, Which we did. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a really sweet way of handling that. My second mentor was my aunt Ida. This is her in the 70s. She always said she was born too late for jazz stardom. And listen to this glaring injustice. This is her only YouTube video. It's from a 1975 Elvis show in Vegas. Thank you. Thank you very much. At the end of Love Me Tender, she rushes the stage and starts throwing eggs at Elvis's head. That's all we have of her. That's like it. I also wanted to ask you about Band of the Hand. <laughs> Weirdly, I just met Keegan Michael Key mm-hmm. um, at his birthday party. He was like, I really love your work. And I'm like waiting for Hedvig. He's like, on Band of the Hand. <laughs> I'm like, what? You're the only guy. You're, so you're the second I'm one the in second a week. I'm the second guy, yeah. I, that's good. I'm glad you got two in a week. Who knows what next week will bring you. <laughs> I've only been recognized from Band of the Hand twice. Once was in Yugoslavia and once was in San Juan. Ah! What are you doing? If we don't learn to live, we're going to die like Joe said, man. So come on. You lost the compass. Find it. Now. Asshole. I was the punker, new waver in that who kills his father and blows up his school and is incorrigible and goes to a boot camp in the Everglades run by Stephen Lang of Avatar, who sadly replaced a Native American actor because the character is Native American. Oh, um, right. Who they didn't think could could act it. And he mm-hmm. was brought in the Hungarian Jew <laughs> that he is. Um, <laughs> well, that's the great thing of ethnic casting in that era. Yes. So sometimes if you it was were, like, yeah. yeah, if you were anything, you could be another thing. If you were slightly olive-skinned, you were yeah. an, like a whole range you, of things. Yeah, you'd yeah. be biracial. <laughs> um, those are, that's a good thing that's changing, that we can play sure. ethnicities. But, if you go um, watch old dynasties, which I love, but the Moroccan characters or something, just get a guy with a mustache. <laughs> Perfect. I remember uh, Charlton Heston played a Mexican Oh, that's right. <laughs> the third man. <laughs> Do you have any favorite offensive characters in, in older films that you just look at? Well, it think? is fun to be able to look back and know that things have changed. Yeah. But I always felt it at the time, you know, I <laughs> I wasn't blinded to the absurdity of like, are you serious? I mean, I guess, but w- there was also an understanding that you know, rich and famous will get to do what they want and play what they want. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Which is the club thing that isn't, it's, you could call it casual racism, but it's also a kind of more like capitalism yeah, than racism. Yeah. It was like, these are products that we can dress up in blackface or whatever face. Sure. And, and that's give them an Oscar because they're, you know, they're brave, but, <laughs> Breaking into that world was always hard, and especially for people who are more were more uh, unique. Because 
Hollywood always performs uh, prefers a good-looking person who can play a lot of things as sure. opposed to a less good-looking person who can play a lot of things or even one thing. Yeah. The 70s was a bit more open, you know, yeah. like oddballs, you know, still kind of racist. Or something. Yeah, but yeah. you would get Dustin Hoffman yeah. be a movie star. Now, you know, you'd have to look better. You know, you'd have to look good. Um, so we just under... We accepted that while still railing against it. And I think Hedvig in some ways for me was just busting out of a certain mode. But there was a sense of uh, we took what we could get, you know. Yeah, so when sure. there was a queer character on – there was a movie that I loved called Bless the Beasts and the Children. Mm -hmm. With Billy Mooney, right? Yeah. Well, he was in Lost in Space and later actually had a punk band in the 70s. Oh, right. And then also is one of the two guys in Barnes and Barnes who did Fish Heads. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, he was a really cool guy. Mm -hmm. And he was the, you know, the kind of punkish leader. Mm -hmm. um, there was another guy who was clearly gay, who was not playing gay. And then there was another character who was supposed to be gay. And he was a bedwetter and he was me. And he was like, it was every possible stereotype. But it was still like, finally. Sure, yeah. You know, a gay person. At first, they're to be pitied. And then later, before that, they were villains. Mm-hmm comic figures you know the comic queen yeah sure like the and Paul then they Lynn's were type yeah of... and then they were victims in the aids era it was like they were to be pitied oh sure and hopefully we've we've come out the other end with queer characters and and you know it's much more diverse but those characters still moved me even though that we only got those crumbs you know yeah uh you know a black friend will always say, at least we, you know, we had Garrett Morrison in Saturday Night Live, even though he was kind of destroyed by the fact that he would, wasn't even given good roles. And, right. you know, my understanding is that he had, had a rough time. Mm -hmm. But what are you going to do? Say no to that job? You know, it's, it's like <laughs> exactly, the, the world yeah. had to change later, yeah. sadly. Um, and the, the rebel is always, uh, someone braver and more, and more courageous you know i was right. never i never thought of myself as a rebel mm -hmm. i wasn't a street agitator like i went to an act up meeting and said i don't know if we should close down all the bridges because some ambulances might not get through and someone might die and larry kramer said we're dying so someone else should die and i was like i don't know if that's the right you know i was always a centrist kind of guy sure i would work in the system to make change, you know, and stylistically change and bring in ideas that weren't necessarily in those entertaining modes. Mm -hmm. And with this, I'm going into a new mode called podcast, which is a new old one. Yeah. Uh, and borrowing what I, what I learned from theater and film and putting it into the audio experience in a, in a more dense storytelling mm -hmm. way that, Partly out of necessity because it was written as a TV series and it was turned down by everybody. Oh, okay. Because yeah. it was ungenerable. <laughs> sure. You know, and Hedwig wouldn't have been made now either. Because you can't really define it. Yeah, they want with you, one. If you can't define it, you can't sell it. Okay, yeah. So there's good TV now, but they still fit into genres. Sure. And ours wouldn't quite fit. Right. If there's enough stars, it kind of overcomes that objection. Mm hmm. And the fact that Patty Lapone and Glenn Close are in this helps us a lot. Sure. But they love being part of a new form too. Mm -hmm. And I want to bring in more of my film and TV people into the audio form yeah. to revolutionize it. You know, 
it's in every person's medium now. You mm -hmm. know, in the future, we will all have a podcast for 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about ACT UP and everything, and I wanted to ask you about Radical Fairies. Yeah, well, you know, I guess I was introduced to Radical Fairies by my friend Stephen Kent Jusick, who also inspired Short Bus in many ways because mm -hmm. he had a wonderful cinema salon where there was food and 16 millimeter films and sometimes sex would come up, you know, in a kind of pub, you know, a group way. Um, and he would go down to a place called Short Mountain in Tennessee. And there's various communes around the country that are deemed radical fairy, which mm -hmm. really just, it was coined by Harry Hay, who started the first queer rights group called Mattachine. Which is what your night is named after. Right, which is the name of my, my party at, at Julius Bar uh, that we've been running for eight, 11 years. With uh, Amber Martin and... Amber Martin, Angela DiCarlo, our co-DJs. Amber's touring with me in my Origin of Love tour. Uh, and we're going to Mexico City next time. Oh, cool. Um, and we'll DJ there. So they have gatherings at some of these uh, communes, like... Not exactly queer Burning Man, but there's mm -hmm. a sense of, you know, people Community going and, away, yeah, being okay. creative, being communal, sure. yeah. uh, 700 people camping on 200 acres and kind of, and feeding everyone and people not being, de you know, demanded for money. If you can afford something to pitch in, if you don't, you're welcome. Okay, sure. Idea of a sanctuary for queer people or people who love them mm -hmm. you know it tends to be a bit more male than i like mm -hmm. you know i like a mix of genders and and uh ages and sexualities sure because uh, i think a mixed party is always better than too much of the same but it really freed me up and realized that queer has a lot of points of view this is i think of a more kind of a queer hippie-ish vibe sure um but harry hay always thought that people fairies should gather together do their magic, mm -hmm. send, spread their love, talk about issues, make beautiful rituals. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence oh, yeah. are adjacent to fairies, mm -hmm. you know, coming out of San Francisco and they're kind of service-oriented nuns, queer nuns. Yeah. Um, and that I love, you know, I'm a Catholic and I love, I like the idea of service and helping and so it definitely informs Short Bus, for sure. Yeah. And a lot of fairies are in Short Bus. And for those of you who haven't seen Short Bus, I strongly recommend it. It's a really still kind of edgy film because of the use or the inclusion of sex in yeah, the of, narrative. Of ex real sex, yeah, real sex. Yeah, real sex. Yeah. Um, the actors having sex as part of their life story rather than just trying to get off an audience. You know, it's not porn because the purpose of it is not to stimulate um, in mm -hmm. fact most of the sex is terrible and and comic which is more interesting uh there's a very tone setting moment in the first five ten minutes i think yeah i ha everyone is having sex at the beginning and i and also there's a solo moment, it's front loaded right? yeah <laughs> uh but the sex is a metaphor for other things you know a character is yeah. trying to suck himself off as every boy straight or gay tried to do it at, at not 11 14 yeah um and he does, but then he bursts into tears after coming because <laughs> he's alone. Yeah. You know? And another character wants to be alone, and he she cries after an orgasm because she's not alone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's somebody there. So the metaphor of sex in that case was important. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I could make Short Bus now, not because of right-wing Christian disapproval, but perhaps more from the left 
and because if you know there is a little kind of puritanical thing happening right now that comes out of a valid movement of me too and mm. has to do with that you know with with people power being misused but sure but you know i i don't know maybe you know as a white gay man you know mm -hmm. directing an an asian woman to have an orgasm that would not be allowed now right you know it could be because it's not me you know and sure if sex is happening then someone is being exploited mm -hmm. i can see that being a very very uh potentially difficult thing yeah to get but in right our now. case it was we developed it with the actors for two and a half years so that they were helping craft their characters, mm -hmm. create the boundaries, and everyone felt great about it. Right. Everyone has, say, an agency in it. Yeah. Yeah. And no one was asked to do anything they didn't want to do, but I was encouraging people to challenge themselves sexually because culture is so afraid of it. Right. You know, and I grew up in the Catholic thing where sex was bad and queer sex was worse. And, and also, you were of a certain age in the 80s when... AIDS was terrifying. I mean, it's still yeah. scary, but no one knew much. Yeah, there about was it. An, an added layer of fear because it was connected to mortality. Certainly, yeah. And we made it in the years after the Proteus inhibitors came in to help people, but the fears of sex being bad is still very deep in our culture. And both the right and the left wing sublimate it mm -hmm. with legislation. A few lighter topics. Do you cook? You know, I I don't cook, but I will cook <laughs> under protest. <a> lot. <laughs> no, I will be cooking a lot in my life. Oh, okay. Because I realize the skills necessary when I have, I mm -hmm. love it. Oh, okay. Sure. But I'm in New York in the village and it's like I live alone, you know, so it's less of a thing. I don't really have much of a kitchen. Sure. But when I go to Puerto Rico where I have a house with a friend and elsewhere, I get very excited because it's the same skills as directing and, and uh, writing, mm -hmm. improvisation, timing, sure, which is certainly. theater, and presentation as well as, uh, you know, taste and- And also conceiving of what you're going to have. Yeah. Basically. I'm, I'm more of a kind of witchy, you know, like creating <laughs> sauces and, and stews and potions. Oh, okay, sure. As opposed to the perfectly grilled this or that. Oh, like yeah, I yeah. like to create you know, throw things in to create. Let's see if this makes it a little spicier. Yeah. Which I do in, in other forms too. <laughs> right, that makes sense. I also sense. make oil, essential oil blends. Oh, you do? For fun. When did you start doing that? When I was doing Hedwig on Broadway, I, you know, I had a vaporizer with the oils and then I had all these extra oils. So I started combining them and making, you know, kind of aromatherapy things. You did all the vocals for the film Hedwig live. On, well, right? most of them, when they were live, in the film. Outside of um, Wig, in a, Wig Box. in a Box. And a couple others. Which is amazing to think of uh, you in full regalia doing that, many takes, I'm sure, and you're directing at the same time. It was exhausting, and I'll never do anything that hard, but I learned things from people like Altman and stuff. He, I shot the extras first. Oh, okay. So they can get a fresh reaction to what I'm doing. <laughs> That's a really good idea, yeah. Is he one of your favorite directors? Yeah, he is. Do you have any favorite Altman films? Nashville. Three Women. Mm, it's an incredible film. Yeah. yeah. Gosford Park, A Wedding, which is a kind of unsung film. That's a great films. one. Have you seen Health? I've seen Health. I it, I believe it's best lost. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of good moments with it, Carol Burnett, but... Yeah, and Dick Cavett, too. Those moments are good. It's definitely yeah. not... It's the, not Nashville. It, well, it's better than A Perfect Couple. 
Yes, or Ocean Stiggs. But, <laughs> oh you know, my God. <laughs> he made so many movies. And yeah, Quintet. Yeah. yeah, some of them are brilliant. Oh, there's so many brilliant ones, but that's what's fascinating about watching a bad Altman film. It's like Jason and I talk about a bad Stones album or a bad Altman yeah. album. It's better than most of their albums because yeah. at least it's Altman or the and Stones. And they're working every year and they're making, it looks like the Coen brothers, they maybe churn out too many and should spend a little bit more time on the script. But because they're so good, it's always entertaining. Yeah, and at least they'd like look good or there's something interesting yes. to the score or Unlike something. Unlike Woody Allen, which is who's really <laughs> been terrible for a while. But, you know, it, it was uh, The Long Goodbye is a brilliant film. I just got to see it on the big screen for the first time. It's amazing. It's an incredible film. Yeah. Even later, Gosford Park, I loved. The, his final one, Prairie Home Companion. Mm-hmm. Love that. I got to meet him at the party for Prairie Home Companion. Oh, and, wow. And someone introduced us and he looked at me and he went, you got a weird mind. <laughs> what could be a and better compliment? I know, and he said, there's not many left. Oh, wow. That's even better. I know, I was like, oh my God, that's the best compliment I've ever had. <laughs> I can leave the party now. I'm going to leave and go home because it's not going to get better. <laughs> Have you met other people like that that you, you know, watched their work for years and years and years? And Sometimes then- you don't want to meet your heroes because they, you know, they're petty or they're disappointing. I do research before I meet someone. But that's a good move. Yeah. yeah. And there's, you know, the people that I worship that I don't necessarily want to meet because uh-huh. it might change my view of them. Sure. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, meeting people. Want to like, name them? No. <laughs> no. I mean, meeting people like Lou Reed and, and uh, Jenna Rollins and John mm. Waters and, you know, it, it is so wonderful to see them as humans, but also the fact that they're fighting the good fight and not just trying to make something that more, you know, more people are going to see, but the right people are going to get, you yeah, know? Sure. I'm a populist, you know, storyteller. I still want things to be entertaining. I never went for an art grant. I never yeah. did an artist colony. I probably should, but, you know, there's other people whose stuff is less um, populist that, that deserve that spot, you know, sure, who are right. more challenging. Yeah. But, you know, if I met a Tina Turner, I would die. You know, these are <laughs> right. people who th- it's a magic. are my heroes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, uh, I have to tell you, I was so delighted to uh, DJ with you and meet you and discover what a lovely person you are in person because uh, Hedwig's one of my favorite films of all time. Oh. Yeah. I saw it in the theater so many times, they saved all the promo material and gave it to me. Uh, what? Yeah. I took my mom to see it. Wow. Yeah. No, it's really a remarkable film. And every time I see it, I'll cry at least two or three times. Oh. Yeah. I find it. Um, did you see, so you've seen the deleted scenes? I have, I have with the uh, Phyllis and the tooth. Yeah, my manager with a tooth phone, <laughs> which and, hasn't happened yet. I'm surprised. And Andrea Martin, because I'm a massive SCTV fan. Oh I'm yeah, sure you me are. too. Yeah, you know, I originally wrote that for um, Madeline Kahn. Oh wow! You know, okay, who was ill. She was a friend and a new friend, and mm-hmm. uh, but we were so lucky to have. Oh my, she's Andrea. incredible in that. Yeah. This is, I don't know if you've seen some of our art for this. Is this the new? Oh, yes, I saw that. Yeah. And this is uh, Glenn Close. She got in trouble, though, for being on a cross. She did? You know, a couple people. Yeah, there's always going to be someone. Though, what if she's playing Jesus and Jesus Christ Superstar? Did they not show it? (laughs) Right, exactly. Did they cancel her? Yeah. She has to perform behind a modesty screen. Yeah, that's Cynthia Revo. Oh, wow, okay. Laurie Anderson. Oh, yeah. Another hero. Yeah. Dennis O'Hare, 
underwater. Oh, that's really cool. So we'll have this art, you know, on the app. Oh, that's cool. We talked about cooking. What are your eating habits like? Are you healthy or? I'm pretty healthy, but I tend to eat the same thing a lot. I yeah. mean, I love food, and when I'm in Portland shooting, I I really indulge, <laughs> oh. you know, because it's, you know, as you get older, you know, food does replace sex. Um, in for the same, they have the same, you know, endorphin release. Sure, but um, I'm a huge food fan, especially Asian foods of all kinds of yeah. all cuisines. And uh, for some reason, that Pacific Rim on that side really speaks to me and spicy and you know yeah flavors but i uh i want to find a place where i can be creative in that realm too mm -hmm. you know yeah i would love to have a restaurant you know someday or uh another you know non-lucrative <laughs> disaster <laughs> <laughs> well that'd be great a restaurant i've heard is really perfect for that sort of thing here's amber and me on tour oh i love that yeah i think i, I think i will uh make plans to come, come to back to town for mm. yeah i really want to see it'll that be show in LA, but it'll be in next year well i'll go to then as well that'll be fun because i never got to see you do uh hedvig and so i'd love to see you do i mean i'm songs. not really hedvig but i sing i mean no no but you're doing the songs i mean like yeah. it's it's as good as I, it's gonna get until you do that again Here's me doing it in korea oh wow i'm huge in korea and japan yeah Weirdly, the most popular anime series there is called Yuri on Ice, about ice skaters. And one of the characters, one of the lead characters is based on me, physically. Uh-huh. Victor, who's a Russian skater. Yeah. Um, the designer who I met was like, yeah, we sort of based it on you. I came to see you in Broadway and the the reaction of your fans. And, and weirdly- wow. And, and it's so gay because uh -huh. he is a coach to a, a Japanese uh, skater and, and he's sort of in love with him. And they're like, coach, you know, it's very, some would find it a little <laughs> me too-ish, but it's very, it's very good. And they're making a feature of it now. Yuri on Ice. Yeah. The name of it. Yuri on Ice. It. Check it out. A few other things before we have to wrap up. What are your sleeping habits like? You know, I'm a light sleeper. I need routine to sleep well. Okay, um, sure. And when I'm working, I hate it, but I I can't turn that mind off. So I, I I've been using Ambien, but when I'm in sh you know a shoot mode, sure. not regularly because yeah. I think it's really bad for you. But I have now been doing the CBD. Oh, okay, yeah, four to one. Uh huh. What's the four ratio. to one? The one is the um, THC. THC. Yeah, yeah. Four to one really helps me sleep through the night without too much grogginess which is great because also yeah sometimes sleep medication can really mess you up the, yeah. there's a tailwind sometimes on some of them and of course you directed the scissor sisters video for uh filthy gorgeous yeah which has a lot of our friends in it yeah uh carice yeah basically the star of carice it. is the uh hula hoop master who i just yes. saw last week here um who's also a wonderful you know textile designer and I think I kind of put Carice into drag for the first time. Really? Yeah. Wow. Carice has a beautiful non-binary soul, two-spirit yeah. two soul. Hoping to have Carice on the podcast, actually. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. I think she just left town. Yeah, I, we yeah. were communicating about that uh, a while ago, and I think, yeah, we're going to figure something out in the next month or two. Yeah. Charlotte Ray had a cameo in that. I didn't realize Mrs. That. Garrett <laughs> from Facts of Life. That. She just passed away last oh, year. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. 
but she really wanted to do something hip. <laughs> <laughs> well, that certainly fit the bill then. Yeah. And what did you and Jason meet? We met at, at Short Mountain at the Radical Fairy Gathering. Okay. Uh, Beltane, and he was singing with a boombox for the No Talent Show. And <laughs> I was like, you're really talented. And, he, and I sang back up for him on, for some songs. Oh, cool. So you were on the first album. <laughs> no, just the first concert. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah, okay. I sang back up at, at Short Mountain. At Short Mountain. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just one last thing. Uh, we talk a lot on the show to people who have struggled with addiction. Yeah. And you struggled as someone who was in love with someone yes. who struggled with addiction. And I know we only have a few minutes left, but I wanted to touch on this because we don't often get that point of view. Yeah. The Al-Anon point of view, which is the, you know, the non-addicted person gets addicted to the addiction dynamic. Okay, sure. And that's what Al-Anon is about. And it's not much fun in those meetings because it's a lot of uptight people saying, you're reading for the book too long. And, you know, there's a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> They're waiting for the shoe to drop. <laughs> I much prefer the AA meetings where everyone's more fun. Uh, they which, smoke. <laughs> yeah, which proves why I'm, you know, was the lover of an addict. Um, but I didn't know much about it. It wasn't in my family. So it was a, 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 a difficult, very difficult journey. Um, and also when you're with someone who's a, a sweet drunk, people don't challenge them to change. Sure. It, the, the assholes actually get ignored, you know, they get avoided, so they have to do something about it. Right. Um, and Jack Steeb, who was in our original band, Cheater, mm. Stephen Trask band. Were they also the house band at Squeezebox? He was also right? the bass player, the house band at Squeezebox, uh, was my boyfriend and was taught me all about punk rock and taught me all about, he wanted to be an old man. You know, he was one of those young guys who wanted to skip the middle and go to the end. And yeah. he liked old guys. He yeah. Even, found Charlton Heston charming because um, <laughs> they were ridiculous. And he taught me a lot about punk and about culture. And But he, he had a drinking problem and, and uh, you know, he went to rehab a lot. And the song, The Long Grift from Hedvig was written by Stephen for Jack. Okay. Talking about his addiction and it wasn't for Hedvig. So it ended up in. Hedvig. Oh, wow. Okay. And he passed away in 2004 uh, from his addiction and, and, uh, you know, just was a turning point in my life, you know, that was very, sure. very difficult. And, but he, we, I talk about him in this piece. Yeah. Through the character of Jairo, who is an, an adaptation of him and others who uh, struggles with addiction and uh, is also a musician. So the impetus for the podcast really probably came out of his death. Uh -huh. I was dealing with that and sure. making sense of it. I could feel that when listening to it. That yeah. Was, that was really yeah, brought to my mind. Yeah, this is a tribute and, to Jack. And, yeah. Um, and Stephen and I will be talking about him in the show that we do on tour. Uh, and his, I keep, keep in touch with his parents, and mm -hmm. they're very loving, and they couldn't understand what happened. A lot of it happened because he was queer, and you know, you, you're taught that you're less than human when you're young uh, in many settings, cultures. So that didn't help his self-esteem, and I think you self-medicate. You know, a lot of queer people have higher incidences of addiction and smoking and all kinds of things uh, sure. because they're taught that they're not right. Right. Other people's substance use in any form, did you find that you had a different way of looking at it after that, a different feeling about it? I was scared it? of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm also a control freak, so I was scared of it for myself. You know, I, I've never done really hard drugs. I... I, I uh, I'm a lightweight anyway, 
though I did find ayahuasca to be very interesting and useful, and that's a more described more as a medicine, you know, than sure, a drug. Sure, yeah, yeah. Because there's a scene in in Anthem. the podcast where the characters do ayahuasca in William Burroughs' abandoned car, <laughs> which if we're going to pick a setting. Why? Yeah, I was writing in his garden right next to it. It's still there, and. That's a guided shamanistic exploration, which I think is can be very useful for people, especially with addiction. Iboga, oh really? Wow. Which is the African root, is and it's isolate. Ibogaine has been used for therapy for heroin addiction. Is, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, because it really makes you go deep and look at yourself, and you can't get away from it. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people have found that useful. Um, but I, I'm repelled. Though I understand the embrace of opiates, but even even more repelled by you know by meth and coke and things that are what I call the capitalist drugs, which okay. are about consumption and power. You know, mm-hmm. the ones that give you a false sense of power and make you, you lose your empathy completely. You know, at least pot and mushrooms and those things can make you feel these. Those things just reduce. Sure. Frank Zappa yeah. was uh, similar in his feelings on that. Yeah. Uh, John, I hate to wrap it up, but we have to go. I know you have another appointment, and it's been such a delight to have you on the show. Such a pleasure. Oh, fabulous. For Thanks. Your, for your uh, New York journey, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anthem Homunculus starts April 23rd yep. on the Luminary app, uh, which you can download on for anywhere. It's all been said before The words rang true But what were they for? You were a small disappointment A careless hand on the thigh The sweet inferred words That were never implied Who could frame the fearful asymmetry Between lust and love Is godless and absent for the thought Caught between what you want and what you bought Are you the final thread That binds the world to me Baby, is that all you want to be? The end of love is A terrorist grief that's like a trip I'll carry you over the water You grow heavier with every step Until you drag me down The shore is only a stress
How, how, how you 